0: Hi, I'm Dan. I'm Josh. And today we will be continuing to talk about audio source material, and moving on to some of the more obscure formats at this point in time, which is uh, CD audio and high-res digital, as well as a little splash of reel-to-reel.
1: I'm so glad we're talking CDs. Such a great value.
0: (laughs) You know, Josh, I strongly agree with that. Um, that's the main point that I wanted to talk about for uh, for this episode is how much good sound quality you can get from CDs for almost nothing now because nobody wants CDs. Um, I've gotten many of my favorite albums from thrift stores or bookstores or other record stores that just have... Stacks on stacks on stacks of CDs, and, you know, they're anywhere from 2 to $10, usually. And I take them home, and I rip them to my hard drive on my computer to a lossless FLAC. Um, not an MP3, because that is not lossless, so you lose some of the fidelity if you uh, compress it to an MP3. And then I listen to it over USB to an external digital-to-analog converter. Or, with my software that I use, Audirvana, uh, it allows me to send it over the network to a Raspberry Pi that I have set up with my main stereo rig. So, that's where most of my music is and that's an artifact of growing up around CDs and collecting them when I was younger. uh, My dad had a CD collection the entire time I was growing up. Uh, He didn't have any records. He didn't have very many tapes. He had CDs, and that's what we listened to. Um, He had a five-disc carousel, and we would load it up and just let it rip. Um, So... That's what I, That's the sound that I was used to. That's the way I interacted with music. Um, then, of course, MP3s took over and iTunes and uh, stuff like Rhapsody. Do you remember Rhapsody? Uh,
1: I don't. I think so. I mostly remember uh, LimeWire.
0: The uh, slightly more shady side of things, but yeah.
1: Yeah, and and Napster. Yep. They had a whole they had a whole row with Metallica.
0: I'm sure they had a whole row with a lot of people.
1: <laughs> I think I think Metallica was the big one because Lars Ulrich went after them hard and he took a lot of flack for it. it Sellouts. Like oh yeah, imagine wanting to be paid for your work.
0: I was not aware of that uh, that history there.
1: Yeah, it, in the beginning with MP3s and stuff, like you know Spotify. It feels like you're getting the music for free, but you pay a monthly subscription. But with LimeWire and Napster, they were just giving away music for free, and I think they were making all their revenue by serving ads. So you were getting all this music for free. Meanwhile, they weren't kicking royalties back to any of the artists.
0: Yeah, so obviously that's bad business. It's also pretty illegal, but...
1: Yeah, which is probably why those services aren't around anymore.
0: Yeah. So, uh, like I said, I I started ripping some of my dad's CDs to uh, tiny compressed MP3s so that I could put them on my MP3 player, my creative Muvo that had 256 megabytes of storage. Yep, I
1: I did the same thing. What my SanDisk little monster MP3 player had a little full color screen and a little button that lit up all blue. and The king of cool.
0: In oh, the yeah. Grade. Mine didn't have a display. Mine was the low end version.
1: Well, I went so I went to Walmart to buy an iPod Nano, but they were sold out of Nanos. And then the next best was the shuffle, but that didn't have a screen and I really wanted a screen. Cause for some reason I'm all about screens. So I ended up getting that. And I remember for the longest time I didn't have any music on it. I just had like the, the weird free music that came on it. So for the longest time, that's all I listened to.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I used to, uh, go to, go to the family computer and ask dad to load up some songs on my MP3 player before I knew how to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, and then once I you know, figured it out, then I, of course, put my stuff it, on there.
1: It's, I don't remember learning how to do it. I just remember one day I just did it.
0: I remember the first time I learned that you could rip a CD. Yeah. And my dad was like, yeah, you can just rip it to your computer and listen listen to it in your room. And I was like, rip. That sounds cool. What does that some, do? rips <laughs> and so you you put it in your computer you spin up the sewing machine and uh, make a little tiny file and it probably sounds like garbage um and i listened to that on my my little infinity computer speakers which were also garbage
1: i, I had uh, some dell computer speakers that came with the the desktop that I had.
0: Did they have Velcro on the side to stick them to the side of a monitor?
1: No, they didn't. They were freestanding.
0: Oh, nice.
1: Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was, a, it was a good setup. Yeah. <laughs> it was a heck of a rig. So I'm pretty sure it had a Pentium processor.
0: Yeah. I don't mean to demean anyone who uses computer speakers and is happy with it. That's not the point. Um. But, uh, you yeah. know, I've, I've since grown and learned what I like. And what I like is, uh, you know, ripping a, a bit correct lossless compression, uh, which admittedly makes a much bigger file. It's roughly a half a gigabyte per album. Um, and then I run that through my audio file software. And I don't know how it works, but it makes it sound better. I used to use FooBar for many years, which is a free open-source software that you can customize and get it to sound and look however you want it to. I was happy with that for a long time, and then I got a free trial of Ottervana when they started making their software for Windows. It used to be Mac only. And um, I've... I was blown away by the difference that I could hear on on certain songs. Um, of course, for the general public, it probably doesn't make much of a difference. Um, but for me, it was noticeable enough to be worth the, I think, $80. Um, and that has title integration, so you can play titles straight through it um it's got lots of features for uh upsampling um which basically means it uh it takes the the um the sample rate which a stock cd is 44.1 kilohertz so that's how many samples it takes per second to form an analog waveform And it can upsample that to pretty much whatever you want. You can go up, you can double it to 88.2. You can go up to 96 kilohertz. You can go up to 192 kilohertz. And basically what that does is it it adds in and interpolates more um, data per second to kind of, I guess for lack of a better term, give more detail to the sound and sometimes it sounds better and sometimes it kind of doesn't sound as as much like the original recording um sometimes it kind of sounds like it you know is actually destroying and reprocessing the music which is not what you want so uh but the point is you can tinker with it that's what I like to do. Um, so like I said, I run out from my computer where I have the file stored over USB or over the network to an external, uh, digital to analog converter and out to whatever, uh, apparatus I'm using to listen to. Um, and I, I do have a CD player, um, and I'll occasionally throw a disc in there, but, um, of course, that, that sounds different. Um, to me, it doesn't sound quite as good as just um, transferring the files through over the network or over USB. But, uh, you know, sometimes you just want to throw on a CD, um, kind of like with vinyl. Sometimes you just want to interact with it and look at it. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I, I got into a little bit of the, the higher sample rates, which is where high-resolution downloads can come in. Um, high-resolution is typically a minimum of 24-bit, um, which essentially establishes the amount of data per sample that it can hold. Um, bits typically translate to the amount of dynamic range that the digital file can hold. And for reference, standard CDs are 16 bits, so you can get up to 24 bits. That's kind of the standard, and then uh, the standard is 96 kilohertz or 192 kilohertz, um, which, like I said, both both of those try to allow for more detail in the music, and of course, there are much bigger files too. Um, but you can get those from various online sources. Um, HD Tracks is kind of the 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 biggest, the most popular, and uh, I know Title um, supports streaming high res now with a type of compression algorithm. I guess compression might not be the proper term, but there's an algorithm called MQA, stands for master quality authenticated um which basically allows studios to process their digital files in a way that's easier to download and smaller but still sounds as good um which is a a great boon for services like title but um you know you can't really download it yourself anywhere which is a shame because I actually in my experience it sounds really good and it could be really effective um, but pretty much pretty much only audio files know about and actually buy high res downloads um, and that's because that's because the the music is typically a lot more expensive and not a lot more better um, sounding i mean so I typically buy an older album on CD when it's, you know, $5 on Amazon because it's an old album, and then I just have the CD and I rip it to my computer and then I have it. Um, whereas that same album, if it's available on high res, might be, you know, $10, 12 $15. Um, so for me, I think the real... Um, the real thing that I look for with high res is a newer album that was probably recorded digitally, um, at a higher resolution than a CD was made. And so then you can actually hear some of the benefit. If it was, you know, properly mixed and mastered for high res digital and has a good transfer, then it can be definitely worth it. Um, but that really depends on the album and whoever made it. So it makes things more complicated, but of course as an audiophile, that's the kind of thing you enjoy doing typically. Um, so Josh, I'm not sure if you still use or have any CDs or if you've ever been exposed to high res.
1: I, I don't have any CDs. Um, I don't, I've never haven't had any real experience with high res. Cause like you said, it's more of kind of like an audio file thing. And honestly, I'd never really heard of high res before you pitched the idea for this episode. Um, so this is my first real exposure to it. Um, like we've said in previous episodes, I'm more of a, more of a vinyl and Spotify guy.
0: Yeah. Which is really interesting. Um, you kind of have two different extremes there. Um, whereas I feel, uh, um, high res and CD digital are kind of the sweet spot between, you know, having something physical that you can interact with and also having good, high quality, consistent audio. But, uh, well, that's just me. So,
1: well, most of the time when I listen to music, I'm in my car. So I mean if I could put on a record in my car sure I would but it's not exactly possible so
0: Yep. And um, like
1: I said I don't I don't have any CDs to rip or anything and put on my phone so
0: Yeah. So most people yeah pretty much just have their phone because you can't really bring a CD into the car anymore. Um, and you don't want to use tapes anymore. But you can't um, really use
1: tapes anymore in a car either.
0: Yeah, if your tape is still working, right? <laughs> you, you probably can't use it anyway. But um, yeah, that's my that's my thoughts. Um, and I do put my CD rips onto my phone. Um but that's because I have enough storage on my phone. Uh, I think I have around 100 gigabytes of, of music files on there that I can just listen to in the car or whenever I want to. Um, but any other time in the car, it would be Spotify or podcasts or something. But we've already talked about that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, we can move on to Real to Real, which I, I wanted to talk about just because it seems to be making a soft resurgence. Um, I believe they stopped making Real to Real decks back in like 1990. Um, and that was, a, that was a, caused by a few things, because um, CDs had come out and taken the world by storm at that time. And so at that point, you know, vinyl was going away, tape was going away. Uh, You still had some cassettes because they were portable and cars still had cassette players. But tapes are expensive to make. And, of course, they're difficult to handle um, because you've got this, uh, you know, this various sized piece of, metal spool that has a bunch of just a ribbon wrapped around it and you have to be careful so you don't damage it and then you have to spool it up on the deck and run it through the heads and get it started on the other uh reel um i've honestly never used one but just thinking about it makes me kind of apprehensive but um anyway For a long time, albums were recorded to analog master tapes, which is just large magnetic strip tape uh, in recording studios. And then from there, it was mastered and then cut to a vinyl lacquer and then pressed into your standard records. Um, So that's the way things were for a long, long time. And a lot of CDs were digitized from analog tapes. And so for audiophiles, that's kind of like the holy grails. If you can get your hands on a real analog master tape from an original recording and play it back at the correct speed with a good, well-tuned deck, which that's another thing. They're very complicated electromechanical devices that can get out of tune pretty easily. Um, but that's kind of, like I said, the Holy grail for most audiophiles. So there are various people and companies out there refurbishing old, um, tape decks from, you know, the late eighties, early nineties when they were really good and they're tuning them up and modifying them in some ways to make them sound even better. And, of course, they're selling them for, you know, fifty to to $100,000 or something. Um, but, of course, that's all custom, right? None of the parts are being made. None of the units are being made. So you either have to scavenge or make new parts yourself. Um, but then there are some small houses that are uh, redoing and copying over uh, analog tapes from different sources uh, and essentially having to source, you know from one or two manufacturers who still make tape and uh, you know re- refurbish all the old machinery to do it, which of course is a very expensive endeavor. So you can get a, you can get one album for $500 if you want. Um but from a uh YouTube sample that I've heard of somebody who got their hands on one of those tapes, it sounds absolutely stunning. um if if real to real were still in commonplace whatsoever, I would be all over it. But uh, of course, now all the tapes are, you know, 40 years old or older, and they've all been played and... The, uh, the magnetic strips don't last forever, and then you have to get a vintage tape deck that you have no idea if it'll work or not, and it's difficult to figure out. But um, I just think it's really fascinating, and I wish it were common and affordable just because I think it's really cool. Um, you know, There's that scene in, in Pulp Fiction with uh, a TASCAM or a TIAC reel-to-reel deck in the living room uh, when they're just jamming, dancing. Mm-hmm. And that, was, that was so cool to see. Um, you know, it's kind of got that, that vinyl record factor, but in a different way. So, yeah. Um, I continue to buy CDs because they're cheap and because they sound good. Um, not because I think they're, uh, you know, uh, cool or, uh, because they're something that's unique. Um, but I think they're a very practical way to get into a little bit higher quality music listening without spending a lot of money. And, of course, you can find CD players anywhere now for pretty cheap. So, Josh, I'm not sure if you have any more thoughts.
1: No. Yeah, I think you summed it up pretty well.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll sign off there. Uh, next week, we'll continue on the down the audio chain and start to talk a little bit more about what components are used to actually get the sound out to speakers or headphones. So look forward to that, and we'll sign off there.